No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we begin the book of Jonah, where God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he goes the opposite direction and suffers some miserable consequences. We hope you join us as Pastor Daryl begins Jonah chapter 1 on Simply the Bible. We come today to one of the most well-known and beloved stories in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah. We begin today in Jonah chapter 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, according to 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah was a prophet in Israel during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who reigned from 792 to 753 B.C. He was the northern kingdom's most powerful king during a time of national prosperity. Jonah was a contemporary of the prophets Hosea and Amos. He prophesied that the Lord would expand Jeroboam's kingdom, which probably meant that he was popular with the local folks. The word of the Lord came to Jonah telling him to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness had come up before him. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. It was originally built by Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Back in Genesis, we're told of him. The Assyrians were one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires in the world. They were so feared that entire towns would commit suicide rather than fall into their hands. In 722 BC, about half a century after Jonah prophesied, the Assyrians took captive the northern kingdom of Israel. 21 years later, they invaded Judah, destroying 46 cities and threatening to destroy Jerusalem before God miraculously intervened. Jonah's contemporaries, Hosea and Amos, warned unfaithful Israel of her impending doom, and they named the Assyrians as God's chosen instrument of judgment. Therefore, probably no one in Israel was promoting the welfare of the Ninevites, and Jonah had no desire to go there and preach to them. But God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He is full of compassion and abounding in love. He wanted to send his prophet Jonah to Nineveh to warn them and give them the opportunity to repent. Verse 3, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Rather than traveling northeast, the 500 miles to Nineveh, Jonah fled in the opposite direction to Tarshish, believed to have been in southern Spain, by way of the seaport of Joppa. It was about 60 miles to Joppa and about 2,500 miles to Tarshish. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah was smart enough to know he couldn't literally escape God's presence, but he probably thought that he could retire from being God's prophet. Actually, he was disobeying the Lord because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable and God never let him off the hook. 
Ironically, every person, animal, and thing in this story obeys the Lord except for the prophet Jonah, the one person whom we would expect to obey God. Has God ever told you to go somewhere you didn't want to go? Has he ever directed you to have a conversation with somebody you really didn't want to have? Has he ever told you to do something kind for someone you really hated? Then you know Jonah's dilemma. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Jonah may have thought that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord, but the Lord was chasing after Jonah, and he had many devices at his disposal to change Jonah's attitude. Where it says that the Lord sent out a great wind, the Hebrew word literally means that he hurled it. There was a violent tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to break into pieces. This did not mean that God lost his temper and took vengeance on Jonah for disobeying him. Rather, God was precise and purposeful in his actions. He was not seeking to punish Jonah as much as to turn him around and restore him. Here we see that the wind obeyed the Lord in contrast to Jonah's disobedience. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Now, Phoenicians were skilled mariners, and Tarshish was a Phoenician colony. Therefore, it is likely that these were Phoenician sailors. They had been through many storms on the Mediterranean, but never had they encountered a storm like this. Phoenicians were polytheistic and idolatrous, so when the sailors felt that they would perish, each man began desperately crying out to his God. In the great tempest, the ship was listing so much that they tossed off the cargo to keep it from capsizing. And this just shows how when God's people disobey him, other people suffer as well. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Now, isn't this strange? Even though Jonah was disobeying God and a mighty tempest was threatening to break up the ship and everybody else around him was panicking, Jonah was sleeping soundly. He was at peace. But there is a false peace that is not of God. Jonah's sleep was indicative of rebellion, laziness, and apathy. He was unaware of the great danger he and everyone else was in. The captain went searching for Jonah and found him sleeping in the bottom of the ship when he should have been praying. It's always sad when an unbeliever must rebuke a believer. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now, the casting of lots was sometimes used in the Old Testament as a means of identifying the guilty party. When the lot fell to Jonah, they interrogated him. Even the lots obeyed the Lord. 
So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's response revealed the inconsistency of his actions because if he feared the Lord, then why was he running away from him? Sadly, our actions do not always match our profession. It's even worse when people in the world catch us in our hypocrisy. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. The gods of the sailors were localized and limited in their powers. But Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, was the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. When the sailors heard this, they were terrified. No doubt they thought, well, who can stand against this God? Previously, Jonah had told them that he was fleeing from Yahweh's presence. Therefore, they demanded, why have you done this? Then they asked Jonah, what they must do to calm the sea. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now, doesn't it seem strange that Jonah would suggest this? Why didn't he just get on his knees and confess his sin to God and repent? Wouldn't God have relented from this disaster? But Jonah didn't want to repent. He was so stubborn in his way that he preferred death over repentance and going to the Ninevites. This seems crazy, but I have known people who would choose death over repentance. They know the wages of sin is death. If they continue in their sin, they refuse to repent. They would rather die and take their chances with hell than confess that they are wrong and turn from their sins and believe in Jesus for their salvation. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Evidently, the sailors did not like Jonah's suggestion. I mean, after all, it's bad for business to hurl your passengers overboard. They tried to row harder to get to shore, but the sea fought back even more. The wind and sea were obeying the Lord. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They realized that their efforts were futile against this God of the Hebrews. So they prayed to him and asked for mercy for what they were about to do. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. These heathen sailors feared the Lord, prayed, took vows, and offered a sacrifice. Now That doesn't mean that they abandoned their other gods, but they did recognize that Yahweh had power over the sea. They were even more obedient than Jonah. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This Hebrew word could be either translated fish or whale, so we don't really know which it was. But even though Jonah had fled from the presence of the Lord, the Lord had never left Jonah. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. While Jonah was rebelling, 
The Lord was preparing. He knew just what his servant needed to turn him around. And I love that about this story. God certainly has methods to deal with his disobedient children. Some view this as God's punishment of Jonah, and in some ways it probably was, but God could have killed Jonah. Instead, he prepared a fish to give Jonah a lesson he would never forget. Those whom the Lord loves, he also disciplines. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Jonah's three-night stay in the whale watch Inn was no deluxe accommodation, but it would be unforgettable. By the way, even this great fish obeyed the Lord. How foolish it is for anyone to think that he or she can run away from God. The truth is that if you are running from God, he is running after you because he loves you. He knows your way will only lead to disaster. But he wants to bring you abundant and eternal life. Remember, there's always an easy way to surrender to God and a hard way. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your presence. We do thank you for this story of Jonah that teaches us so much about your will, about the necessity of obeying you, and about the fact that you go after us, Lord, to bring us to that place of surrender. I pray, Father, that we would be surrendered to you and willing to obey you the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. We're happy to announce that we're building a new facility in Southwest Meridian. For more information or to give toward this project, please visit calvarytv.org slash building project. That's calvarytv.org slash building project. To listen to previous episodes, check out our Simply the Bible podcast. Tomorrow we will see that from the belly of the great fish, Jonah prays to the Lord, and the fish vomits him onto dry land. Jonah then preaches in Nineveh, saying, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Jonah on Simply the Bible.